today's episode of Stuff That Matters, we kick off September with Kevin Poirier, the assistant principal at Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools. Now that we're post-Labor Day, kids are back in school across the nation, so class was in session as Kevin taught us some valuable lessons, sharing his experiences. He discusses how he got his start as a teacher, coming to the East Coast after graduating from UCLA in 2012, and his first role at West Charlotte High School. It wasn't all A-pluses, however. Kevin nearly resigned in his first year, but decided to stick it out, and his passion has grown over the last decade. We talk about mental health among students, school shootings and what the school systems are doing to enhance the overall safety, social media's impact on today's generation of students, the parents' perspective, and more. So here he is, Kevin Poirier. We are pumped to welcome on to Stuff That Matters, Kevin Poirier. He's the assistant principal at Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools, a role he's been in for about three years, but he's been at uh, Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools for much longer than that. And Kevin is actually making his podcast debut. So welcome to the world of podcasting. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. Glad to be here. Awesome, Kevin. Thanks, man. Hey, you know, why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about you and your story? What got you into education? What, what's your passion? Let's just start there. Yeah. So um, again, my name is Kevin Poirier. I've been an assistant principal in Charlotte Mecklenburg schools for about three years. Uh, um, I've really only known one workplace in my uh, entire career right now. I started in Charlotte Mecklenburg schools at West Charlotte High School in um, when I was 22 years old back in 2012. Um, I never thought I was going to be in education. I went to the University of California, Los Angeles, Um where I majored in political science, but kind of had like this pre-med. I didn't know whether I wanted to go be a doctor, go be a lawyer. Um, I graduated from there and I I took like a, I graduated in three years, took a year off, started working with kids and just like fell in love with it. I mean, just, just totally reshaped my whole kind of trajectory on what I wanted to do, where I wanted to be. I was working at, out in Los Angeles at the time. Um, and then, so I, I talked to like one of my mentors out there, this was back in 2012. And I'm like, I, w- I really want to go teach. I want to work with kids. Like, but I can't because I don't have a teaching degree or I didn't go to school to be a teacher or whatnot. And they, they told me about this program called Teach for America. I didn't really know anything about it other nice. than it was going to be a pathway to education for me. Um, applied to it, got in. Um, they moved me across the country to Charlotte, North Carolina, where I was nice. placed as a high school science teacher at West Charlotte High School. Um and the rest is sort of history. I, I taught science for four years. Then I decided I wanted to kind of go into more school-wide leadership and school-wide initiatives. So um, I became a technology facilitator, working with teachers and working with kids and utilizing instructional technology, became like a teacher coach, coaching teachers on best instructional practices, and then assistant principal. Um you know, and so while I've worked in the same school and and I don't know if you know much about West Charlotte High School, but it really is one of the most special places in all of Charlotte Mecklenburg schools and, and the the legacy, mm-hmm. the pride, the institution of which West Charlotte High School is, is really a unique and special place um, given its history and its legacy. And, um, you know, I've spent the last 
11, 12 years of my career there, just enjoying working with kids and, and, and trying to give all kids the opportunity to receive an excellent education and, and just really having a, having a good time. Um, so that's kind of a little bit of my story and how I landed where I'm at and, and what I'm doing. Well, I'm curious because I I know of West Mac from a different angles that we'll kind of get in later. I love the pride in which you talk about it. I think that that oh, is yeah. just like that just oozes out of you. So, but I, I I would not be able to say what is the I'm a transplant transplant to Charlotte. It seems like every other person is as well. And so I, I might I should know this by now because I've been here for a minute. But tell, what is the legacy of West Charlotte? What's what makes that special? Yeah. So so West Charlotte High School was founded in 1938. It was one of two all-black high schools um, pre-integration. Mm. Um, they talk, you know, you you hear about the historic West End and the Beatty's Ford Road corridor. Just lawyers, doctors, this this incredible black community um, that all went through West Charlotte High School um, pre-integration. Mm. Um, and then you've got this, and I'm I'm giving like the long story short of the history of West Charlotte High School, but of course. Um, you know, you had court ordered busing around about 1971. And um, the story goes that like Charlotte Mecklenburg schools is like the one place where, or one of the places that court ordered busing, the community rallied around to make it work. Um, and there are a lot of, a lot of families in Charlotte that, that said, Hey, let's make this work. Um, the seventies, eighties, nineties, and early two thousands, West Charlotte high school was, was really integrated. And it was, um, you've got a lot of a prominent Charlotte and families that kids went there. Um, the story goes that when Ronald Reagan, I think it was, came to Charlotte, he made a speech and he said like, um, you know, and, and that busing in like this pejorative negative way. And like Charlotte didn't react in the way that he thought they would react there, um, because Charlotte was making it work. And, um, West Charlotte high school became an example, um, Rosa Parks visited West Charlotte High School. Uh, wow. Officials from Boston came down to West Charlotte High School to see how we were doing it. Um, and then in 2001, when um, one of the judges said, all right, schools are diverse, diversified. There's no more need for court order busing um, and no more need for, for busing of schools. Um, the school system largely became more, more resegregated on racial and socioeconomic lines. Um, and that happened around about 2001, 2002, and that's not unique to West Charlotte high school, but just all right. across, um, the city. Um, and, and so that's sort of the legacy and the history. And so you've just got, uh, you know, the former mayor, Anthony Fox that went to West Charlotte high school. You've got NFL coaches, Steve Wilkes right. that went to West Charlotte high school, just a lot of prominent, um, folks, um, both prior to integration, during integration, and post-integration as well. I mean, um, the, 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 the story of West Charlotte High School is that throughout its 80-plus year history, we've had incredible kids go to West Charlotte High School, incredible um, graduates of West Charlotte High School, um, and, and it's just a really special place for all three of those phases that I kind of huh. went through. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So, so, Kevin, one of the things you talked about is part of your role – um, was coaching teachers, right, and, and training teachers. And I guess my question and part of the conversation I have is, it seems my kids go to Wake County schools in the Raleigh, you know, Raleigh uh, area, North Carolina. And one of the things that I hear and see on social media is, oh, we have a we have a lack of teachers, lack of 
individuals coming in to be teachers and and so there's this there's this fear a concern that there's a not going to be enough teachers and the good teachers that did exist are leaving to go to other professions part of me thinks part of me thinks that and having worked in the school system myself some of that is teachers don't want to deal with behaviors and i think I don't know if that's true or not, number one. I mean, that's just my, I remember thinking myself like, A, they don't want to deal with kids' behaviors in school. B, they don't know how to deal with kids' behaviors in school. So I guess full circle here, what is that part of your role to teach teachers on how to deal with kids who have misbehaviors or make bad choices in school? Yeah. So, I mean, first, I just want to double down on that is a very real fear of mine, too. Um, not necessarily it's probably teaching is really hard, right? We think about like, we ask adults sometimes to like prepare, you know, a week ahead of time for a two hour workshop that they're doing. If you think about what teachers do every day, they're doing that like three times a day for 90 minutes with three different sets of stakeholders every single day for the entire week. Um, So teaching is really hard. It's not compensated at the level that it needs to be, especially not in North Carolina. Uh, I that that is if something keeps me up at night, it's absolutely the shortage of of educational professionals that are entering the profession, the number of educators that are leaving the profession. Um, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily because of behaviors. I mean, I certainly like that those the, there are challenges with student behavior and managing a classroom. But ultimately, like you asked, like, is that part of my job? And absolutely it is. Um, But it's all about relationships, right? Like, you know, teachers who have strong, authentic, transformational relationships don't have issues of behavior in their classroom. And so it's it's teaching teachers how to get to that point where they're like their authentic selves and they know how to reach kids in ways that are transformational. They know how to build those relationships. They know how to, to to build trust within their students. They And yeah, they know some of the technical aspects too, because there's some strategies and things that you can do in a classroom that make it a lot easier to reduce the number of, you know, maybe behaviors that we wouldn't want to see in a, in a classroom. Um, so absolutely, that's, that's part of my work is making sure that our teachers um, and our teacher coaches are equipped to get our teachers to get to that point really quick. Because unfortunately, like, and, I, and I'm going to be real transparent, like in November of my first year of teaching, I had typed up my resignation letter. I was awful. I was awful. I thought that I was doing a disservice to kids. I thought, you know, they would be better off without me. I couldn't manage right. the classroom. And I didn't get good at teaching until about my third or fourth year to say, like, I got this. And unfortunately, like, you know, when we have this issue of, you know, so many new teachers and and teachers leaving the teaching profession, you're forced to make sure that your teachers are getting better really quickly and are able to do those things like build relationships, implement those classroom culture strategies quickly because they don't have those years of experience. So, so let me, so why did you stay? Like what was it that kept you? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I love kids. Like I love the, the, you know, I guess it was just the, the, uh, you know, the good days outweigh the bad. I mean, I, I also like someone, I, I said that, you know, um, 
I, I told someone like I was on the verge of quitting in 2020, 2012. And they were like, and what are your students going to do? Like, you know, you're crazy if you think they're worse off without you as their teacher. Like, that's just right. stupid. Mm. You know, that was me being 22 years old. And, you know, probably I, I, I'm not really a quitter. And so, you know, the the idea of like walking out on students after I had spent, a, you know, three months getting to know them and stuff wasn't really appealing to me. And ultimately, like, you know, this is hard work and this is hard work. And, you know, people have to have the right core. And we need the people with the right core to be in education. Unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately, you know, government officials and like and, and, and you know, um, I think a lot of, you know, policymakers have been trading on what I call the passion tax for too long, which is like we're, 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 we're not paying teachers what they deserve because they have this passion. And so they're paying the passion tax to do what they love. Right. But that only that only goes for so long. Um, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, uh, you, you can't fill up your car with passion, uh, <laughs> right? Ga yeah. Gas and money has to be yeah. part of that transaction. Yeah, I think, and we feel that in the human service, you know, the behavioral health side as well. I think there is this kind of broad, uh, and and I think we we do it to ourselves. We do a disservice. We we're all bad at this. Most heart people are really really bad at talking about money, financials, sure. their value, actually like return on investment, what you get from a good. Cause we're just so right. hard people, but yeah. And, and then I think yeah. we end up um, doing ourselves in kind of the, the broader field, a bit of a disservice, but it's, so it's good to have, you know, you got to have advocates in the, in the room yeah. for us yet. Yeah, you know, so to Mike's point, I mean, one of the things I was fascinated, you know, so loved having you on Kevin is to talk, you know, I think social media mm -hmm. is such a bizarre phenomenon mm -hmm. that it makes it so that everything is local. Everything feels local, right? Cause nobody really, if you see a video on TikTok or Twitter, nobody really looks and sees what city was that video from? Everybody just feels like that must be from our neck of the woods. You know, so you see these videos of, you know, fights breaking out. You see these videos of just like kids, you know, beating the bejesus out of a teacher. Yeah. And I don't know if that's from 2009 or from yesterday. And I don't know if that is, you know, uh, representative of this stuff's happening all the time or this stuff's not I think there's a broad sense from like normies out there that things are getting worse and that things are getting worse in our school environments. And I'm so curious to hear what your thoughts are on that. Are we wrong? Is that social media? You know, because I think there's a phenomenon, right? Like that broadly speaking over the last 20 years, violent crime across the country has gone down significantly, but our coverage of violent crime has increased. So your right. typical person thinks that the world is more violent now than it was 20 years ago when that's the exact opposite. But again, I, I can't shake this feeling that it feels like school settings are more powder cakes than they used to. But is that an ignorant statement? Yeah, I I, I do not think. I mean, first, like the videos and, and that sort of thing, it's not indicative at all about what goes on in, in a public school in the United States every day, certainly not the one that I work at. I mean, is there an occasional fight? Yes. Um, but, but it, you know, the way that the, the media covers it and the social media posts cover those sorts of things, you really would think that it's a lot worse than it is. The reality is, is like the vast, vast majority of, of kids who are coming to school every day are doing exactly what we ask them to do. And it's on us as the adults to make sure that they have the structures and systems in place. And 99% of kids are doing exactly what we ask them to do. Um, you know, I think what has gotten worse is that social media is like, 
the, the competition for kids attention and the necessity to like really provide meaningful engagement opportunities is maybe more difficult because we're competing with so many other things um, like, you know, TikTok, like Instagram, Facebook, all the Snapchat. I mean, there's just so much like we're competing against in terms of engagement uh, that I think that that is a little bit more challenging than when I started in education um, and feels more like, gosh, and that that's with teachers too, right? You get up and do like some teaching teacher something and you've got to bring your A game because they've got their phones and they're on Instagram and they're, you know, learning something and on TikTok and whatnot too. Um, people's attention span just seems like it's a little bit less than, uh, you know, it maybe used to be. Um, but no, it has not gotten worse. I think that that is, uh, you know, that's what the, the media and sensationalizing you know violence in schools like that it's not representative of what's happening every day um and 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 it really is on those media agencies and and organizations to showcase all the incredible opportunities that are happening you know mm -hmm. the the road to hires of the world the career and technical education pathways the partnerships with cpcc the college credits that kids can earn the dual enrollment programs the ib programs ap programs all those things that exist in like Charlotte Mecklenburg schools, there's tons of opportunities, tons of amazing things. The PACE school for, for our multilingual learners that's opening up this year. Um, that's the stuff that ought to be going viral, not the uh, occasional cafeteria fight. I love that. Yeah, I love yeah, that. So yeah, it's super interesting. I mean, we, we talked about before we went, started recording is, you know, we, we faced the same, you know, how, how do you not let yourself be defined by your worst day or your worst oh. moment um and then obviously keeping the perspective that you know fights happened 40 years ago too i'm pretty sure in schools and probably some were pretty pretty rough just nobody Absolutely. had a phone um a phone out but yeah i i just sense again i think if we just kind of pulled your average person there's this narrative that again maybe we all have to collectively push back again but there's this narrative that things are getting worse out there things are getting worse in the schools the kids are running the show the adults don't have control you know and I don't know if that's just, you know, old man on the porch kind of stuff, but you know, sometimes there is kernels of truth in there that's worth chewing on. And obviously, our you know, our passion is the mental health side. I think there's no doubt that that that's getting worse. But again, yeah. even that even that might be sensationalized to some degree. Everybody likes to say. But uh, yeah, how, do, how do you feel that? How are your teachers feeling this mental health? Even again, post we could probably spend six days on covid but like post covid post mental health boom amongst young people what are you guys seeing and feeling yeah so when you frame it like that with the with with the the lens of you know okay is violence getting worse no i don't really think so i i don't but um you know and the fights and things like that but but mental health is is something and i think it's very related to the social media piece um the challenges that kids face with social media and with their phones um you know, the pressures on kids to fit in or to feel, you know, like they are, they have to be a certain way or they have to live up to an image or, you know, when something embarrassing happened, like when I was in high school, like, you know, the class would know about it maybe. And then like, it would be squashed. Like when something embarrassing happens to kids in this day and age, like the whole city might know about it because it's going to be on oh. everyone's Instagram story. You know what I mean? I mean, there's some really awful things there that that I do think are 
impacting kids' mental health. Um, just the volume of eyes that can be on something that happened to you or that, that, you know, the, the number of screenshots that occur and, and then people sending it and just group chats and things, those can get, I mean, every, every physical altercation, it feels like in a high school or probably any school right now, yeah something, there's going to be the word cell phone or social media or post somewhere in there. Um, and so that has made some, some, some serious challenges there. Yeah. Or, or it started online and then actually became real. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. 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 So the school system you work in Mecklenburg County schools, right? Yep. Is that, that's in the top five or 10 in terms of size in the country. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? I think it's like 13 or top, top 15. I was close. I mean, yeah. it's a huge school. <laughs> yeah. It's a big massive. School. massive. Yeah. I knew it was big. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I went there, but I was just thinking like it's a big school system and there's a lot of kids in that school. Um, I I guess where I was going to go with this is, and just to share a little bit about myself, you know, I worked in a residential program with adolescent uh, juvenile justice involved, you know, young men. Right. And I did 14 years of that and I entered the school system um, for like half a year because I really enjoyed the problem solving aspect of in the kind of counseling aspect of working with kids. And I found that when I shifted to the public school system, I didn't have a lot of time to process decision-making behaviors, setting goals and stuff like that in schools. And so I, I went back to my former job. I was like, this is not a good fit for me. I'm going back. Right. And I guess where I'm going with this is, uh, and, I, and I'll use my kids now. My kid has a busy school day. He's an eighth grader. Do you have do your teachers, do your support staff in your school setting? Is there enough time in the day to, to you know, what kind of time do you guys have to deal with mental health issues or fights or decision making, stuff like that? Do you carve out time? How does that work? Yeah. I mean, every school is going to do it differently. Um and we do do that. I mean, we have something called Wellness Wednesday at our school where every Wednesday there's an hour in the day. We're going to do it a little differently this year. We're going to actually work it into every single block on that Wednesday where our social worker and one of our facilitators and counseling team are designing some specific like community building circles, relationship building lessons that they're going to integrate into classes four times a day on those wellness Wednesdays to build community, to build relationships, to get under the hood of like what kids are feeling. Um, you know, we, we utilize restorative conferences and restorative circles and re-entry plans and reflection, um, you know, circling up community circles a lot. Um, you know, and then just, you know, really just trying to build in, wellness and social emotional learning like within the content too right so like prioritizing relationships over content at the beginning of the year um you know to kind of slow down to speed up because again if you don't have if your kids aren't in a good mental mind space if your kids aren't in a good relational mind space with you as their teacher and with the classroom community like you can't get what you need done our most effective teachers are the ones that the kids call their trusted adult and go to, you know, right. um, and so we do build in that and, and prioritize that. 
at our school a lot. Are there is there are there a lot of competing interest and competing pressures in a comprehensive high school or in any school in any public school? Yes, like there's n- like because I think about it a lot. Like I've had these opportunities to to go and you know why don't you start a nonprofit? Why don't you start an after school program? Why don't you do this? And part of me is just like. I have 1600 kids coming to my school every day. I don't need to fundraise to do that programming. I don't need to um, worry really about transportation or food, nutrition and transportation is covered. Like I have the opportunity for seven hours a day to implement the kind of things that I'd want to see in a nonprofit or separate thing. Like we need to do what we want to see public schools like do within the public school system. Right. Uh, And, but it is tough. It is tough because it's, it's, there's a lot of different, you know, the speed at which is moving and the accountability is high and there's pressure for test scores and results. But the reality is, is like, if you do those things of like treating kids as humans and humanizing the learning experience and prioritizing wellness and relationships, all that other stuff is going to come. Um, but it's, it's getting the right people in the, in the seats to do that work, um, and, and, and training people to do it while also, you know, teaching math one, math two, math three, right. that can be challenging. It's, you know, you're juggling a lot of things. Mm. Well, and, and it sounds like there's enough room, which is maybe good and bad for wide variation between schools, right? It sounds like West Mac is a relational school, probably because, Kevin Poirier is a relational guy to a degree, right? I mean, I'm sure there's work, but like there, that, that is a stamp of that school because that is what you believe moves the needle, but that doesn't necessarily mean every school within CMS has that same relational priority. They might prioritize other things. Yeah, true. Now it's West Charlotte, not West Mech. Don't West Charlotte. Sorry, sorry. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I don't want to start okay. anything. I don't want to start anything. No, no, no. <laughs> don't money, don't no. come at me. Nobody, I'm not no. on social media. But I, I mean that that's that's for sure true. Um, I mean not not because of Kevin Poirier, but but yes, I mean schools can implement different things, and I know that we're not necessarily doing it the best at West Charlotte High School, but um, relationships are key to to reaching students and 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 having an effective. Um, school for sure. Yeah. Well, how how often, if ever, do you get the opportunity to speak to peers at different schools, different school systems, to do like best practice learning? Hey, we tried this and it worked, and that kind of thing. That's something that Matt and I uh, and Patrick, you know, one of the things we believe in is that, right? You know, don't reinvent the wheel. Does that happen? Yeah, it does. Setting? that's the benefit of having a school district, you know, with, with, uh, 30 some high schools, um, is you do have the opportunity to do that, you know, as much as we'd like, probably not because of just the hustle and bustle and things like that. But, um, there are designated, you know, this summer, summer's a, a time that we do a lot of that because there's summer leadership conference days, there's learning community meetings, principal meetings, you're working with colleagues, you're going to level like meetings, which just means like all the high school staff are in one room, um, you know, and, and sharing and talking. And, you know, if you're doing it right, you've got a colleague at another school who you can constantly just shoot a quick text to and be like, how'd y'all do this? You know, um, and, and, right. and trade best practices across schools. Uh, so we do that a lot. 
um, in Charlotte Mecklenburg schools. And I think that's a benefit of having a large district is you're able to do that mm. um, and have like a whole bunch of different high schools, you know, doing a lot of the same things, but also, you know, doing some things differently and, and figuring out what works best. My wife working at New Hope is to provide students with support in the social, emotional, and academic aspect of their life. My why for being here is because these kids need somebody to hear them and see them. My why is I've been in the communities for so long with the residents, now I get the opportunity to work with the families and meet the families. My why is I like to help. I think I was born with that in my nature, so I like helping. I help everyone in the building, as well as our residents and their families. My why is a, because I want to create a safe environment, a comfortable environment for my students to be able to learn and grow. I put smiles on kids' faces that I love seeing every single day. I am at New Hope because this is a place that inspires change for young kids and for adults. I'm here in New Hope working to make a difference in these young girls and boys' lives, giving them an example of what a role model should be and leading them and guiding them in the right direction. My why for being in New Hope is the residents. I love the kids. It's awesome. My why is seeing the change and the process being made. It's just awesome to see them come in, not want to be here. Then they get here, it's like being a family. You know, I'm going to ask a few of these questions that might have a similar flavor to them. But again, I think you've got such a unique perspective on this. You know, there's two things. I probably want to zoom in a little bit more on the mental health side, because again, I do think the role, I think there's a possibility for role confusion there sometimes with teacher or maybe maybe these things are interrelated. So school safety, kind of like the um, school shootings and the tragedies that we've seen, obviously, over the last decade plus. I guess two decades now, Columbine plus, but it seems to obviously have just been on, on hyperdrive the last decade and the last five years. So you have that intersecting again with the mental mental health piece. I remember again, I, I considered teaching too. I, I similar to your story, you know, I, I did undergrad in something, and the day after I got my degree, I said, I don't think I want to do that anymore. <laughs> I'm stuck thinking, what the heck am I supposed to do in my life? And I considered like a lateral entry teaching program because I just love kids. I just want to be exposed to kids who needed help. Um, and that seemed like a good setting to do it. There's been more than a few times in the last five or six years where I said, man, I'm kind of glad I didn't do that because, um, yeah. And then I've got young kids who, uh, one is eight going to third grade, who's told, you know, they do the lockdown drills and they do the school shooter drills and it's just, holy heartbreaking. Jeez. You know, like I get why we need to do that, but man, is there some other way? And then all the debate around, should teachers be armed? It's it's almost like there's a debate. Should teachers be um, police and teachers, or should they also be therapists and teachers, or should they be all three while also trying to make sure that you know how to divide? And and like I'm just curious where you stand on that. Where does West Charlotte come down on some of that? What's the good arguments for both sides? Because again, I also don't think it helps for us to demonize either. So I do think people are coming at those with genuinely just wanting safe and better schools. Um, but man, it's a tough tough topic so well i you know i'm not going to speak for west charlotte on okay, it fair. Um, yep. just i you know but um my own kevin poirier talking i mean obviously i will say from west charlotte is safety is a top priority i mean at, at our school and and um you know my own experience like uh last year not this past year but the year before we had an open campus 
um, at our at our school. And so I have experience both being an assistant principal now on an open campus and now a closed campus, like one building, because our school. We yeah, were can on- you explain explain what those what those sure, two things yeah, are? What yeah. So West Charlotte High School was built in 1938. Well, founded in 1938, and then in the 50s they built a new campus. And in the 50s and the 60s, the the design model of of high schools across the country was like open campus, multiple buildings looking like a college college experience. yeah okay that's completely changed now and any new school that they're going to build now is going to be a single building you know four floors or three floors or whatever one entry one exit you know type of deal or one entry and then multiple emergency exits but if you want to enter you come through the front door um and i mean that has been big uh i mean you know the data would speak for itself just in my own experience i mean in 21 2021 2022 we had not this was the year after covid as well there were nine guns on our campus um and um that was not great so nine guns found on our campus this nine past, nine, nine separate incidents where there nine, was some kind of gun found or i can't remember the details if okay. it was nine separate nine mm-hmm. total i think it was the news story and what That's it scary. Said, nine yes. nine firearms um and this past year i'm really excited we had zero um, and that's incredible. Right. And, you know, every time there's a gun found on a CMS campus, usually it'll, it'll find itself in the news or whatnot. Um, and you know, safety is a top, top priority, uh, obviously, um, where I fall, where I personally fall on like the, that topic of what teachers should be. I mean, I mean, I think teachers should be what they can be and, um, and, and do what they can, you know, they shouldn't try and be a therapist if they're not, if they don't have those skills or they don't have that training or they aren't, you know, reaching kids in a positive way and, and being successful at whatever they're trying to do. Should teachers feel comfortable, like having conversations with students and helping students in ways that are, that go outside the box of like helping a kid divide? Absolutely. Right. Like I have a tons of kids that I've had conversations about life and about things with that goes beyond the scope of like, you know, what happened in 1972 or whatnot or whatever the is, Um, you know, should they also be the the police? I mean, I I don't think it would be a good idea to arm any teacher in any school in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, that seems like a disaster waiting to happen. That sounds awful. We have school resource officers. We have SROs. I think that does the job really well. Um, we had an experience one time where we ha- had to have our SRO call in back up to our school. Really just, this was back in December of 2021 or something. And the speed at which the police are able to react is like really, really good. I don't want to see any of our teachers armed. I don't want to be armed. Um, you know, so that's where I'd fall there um, on that. Uh, how, how did you guys achieve the nine to the zero? Or what What do you kind of, uh, you know, sometimes it's yeah, hard to know how people achieve right. stuff, but what, what do you kind of, you know, what's your guess on how you I am, got that? One is that, you know, there, um, one is that uh, the, the move from a large open campus to a closed campus Okay. So Any, West Charlotte mm-hmm. moved. So it, it, yeah, you guys had a big move from that. And is, is that close? You said most modern new builds in education are going to be the closed campus. Is that largely safety and centralizing oh, yeah. one point yeah. of entry? Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. 
Um, is there anything that gets lost in that? Um, kind of that, you know, outdoor time, you know, and just kind of that feeling about a college campus, um, that kind of nice, I mean, the old, the old campus was beautiful. Um, yeah. and, the, and, you know, North Mac has an open campus. West Mac has an open campus still. Um, East Mac has an open campus still. I mean, it's really nice vibe because you can go outside, you can eat lunch outside, but the new facilities, I mean, we're so behind in, in Charlotte Mecklenburg schools in terms of our capital needs anyway, I mean, the buildings themselves need to be replaced with state-of-the-art stuff. And so, you know, it needs to be replaced for safety reasons, but also just because, you know, some of our buildings, I mean, North Mech was like built in the early 50s. It doesn't communicate excellence. Like the walls are really old. Like we need newer facilities. Um, I'm sure there's like an expense to that too. My kid goes to an open campus middle school. Yeah. And... You know, there's like seven buildings on that campus that he travels. And we love the school. We love the teachers. And But I would have to imagine just the infrastructure from like an AC heating perspective, like the redundancy, I would think cost becomes a factor in how they design schools, I would imagine, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, and, and, and they've become a lot more expensive recently. Um, oh, yeah. they talk about the, 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 the new bond that's going to be on there is, uh, you know, it's the, the inflation has really impacted the, the cost of building schools. Well, I mean, yeah, like you said, lose a little bit going from open to closed, but I don't want to speak for all parents in the world, but going from nine gun related situations to zero is pretty dang, that's pretty dang compelling sure. in terms yeah. of, yeah, yeah. you know, if I had a choice, maybe my kids go yeah. to a closed and, school and, tomorrow. And, you know, right? that sounds. That was a that was a challenging year. I mean, you talk about mental health challenges that that first year back after COVID, um, you know, or, or that was a challenging year. Um, just re re uh, normalizing or whatnot. Just you know, and I don't know the the one of the challenges like we talk about the mental health challenges that exist post COVID. And the attendance challenges that exist post-COVID, that's something mm. that I don't think that we fully um, recovered from just in terms right. of the number of students that are not attending school at the same rate that they were pr- prior to COVID. Um, and, and I get huh. it. Like, there's a lot of economic competing interest. I mean, kids are working sometimes. They're they're supporting their families. They're, they're, they're doing things that are very, very important. Um and so, but, but and we need to create schools that kids want to be at um, and create cultures and, and create schools, you know, that, that kids want to prioritize coming to school and, and feel like this is something that is a value to me. Um, that's ultimately like, I don't think that, you know, uh, truancy court is the way that we're going to get more kids to school. It's going to be right. creating no. transformational, positive places of learning and relationships and growth. And that's how we get kids to school. And to that same point, that is really even how I think we reduce, uh, gu- you know, guns from from you know gun Correct. having guns on campus to no guns on campus is we create places that it's a culture no thing. Would, no one would even want to bring a gun on yeah. campus and do anything. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, that. we want to protect our community, not actually sure. inflict harm sure. upon it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Going along the COVID thing, um, I think we know, and I'm sure there's data out there that says, you know, when kids are in school and kids who might be experiencing abuse, neglect in their home, a lot of times those things are first observed or reported in school, right? 
So there's a there's a trusting adult that sees a child every day coming into their classroom, and that adult, um, that relationship that you spoke about, Kevin, that trusting relationship, oftentimes uh, their first contact, you know, if they are experiencing trauma in the home, the first time that's observed and reported is in the school setting. Um, can you speak to that at all? Is it, you know, I've heard that maybe anecdotally, I've never dug for the information. Um, do, do, do you see, you know, where kids who were once coming to school because it's a safe place to come post COVID, maybe they're not showing up. Is that the population we're speaking of or am I off base here? No, I don't think that they're that that's that population. I mean, I think they they are still coming. I mean, uh, many people still see the school as a safe place and that situation happens, you know, too frequently that, that there's abuse, neglect or something happening. And, and the school is the first point of contact and then works through the channels to try and find support and try and, you know, remedy that situation and get that student in a safe place and, and, and figure out what's going on. Um, I think that, you know, this, there, there's still that aspect of the school being a safe place for that. Um, gotcha. I, I would still say that there's, you know, there's still that, um, you know, maybe it's not every day though, or maybe it's, right. you know, there's other things competing for students time to, to rather than going to school, I'm going to work or right. I'm going to do something else. And, you know, quite frankly, you know, we had a whole year and a half or almost two years where like kids, logged onto their computer to go to school and like the world didn't end. And I think kids yeah. and families saw that is like, well, we made it. We went, we went on. So like, right. if, I, if we miss more school this year, well, we did it back then. Like it, it was, things kept going. Yeah. I think um, we just kind of lost, we just kind of lost some kids. We just lost <laughs> kids and family. Like I, I, like at the time peak COVID, I was um, at an organization where we had a program that was in partnership actually with CMS where we, provided mental health support to their alternative school. And this was their, you know, this is the formal alternative school pipeline. Kids about to get expelled from school or basically, basically gets expelled from their local school. And so they now have to go and go at the alternative school for a little while. And at its peak, uh, we were supporting the middle school at the time. At its peak, that school would have about 120 kids in it. And COVID, the first year of COVID on the, uh, and so we'd have 120 kids in group therapy, individual, th you know, we would, it was actually a really interesting model. COVID hits, we go virtual. We were lucky to interact with nine kids. Wow. Like yeah. not like not like mm -hmm. we did not know. I just kept saying, like, where the hell did all the kids like where are these kids and family? Like I I was wanting somebody to give me just addresses just to like go and check in. Cause again, I think the um, you know, the virtual school was was brutal on everybody, but it obviously the um the the privileged amongst us were able to make it work. And those who were, I think, struggling, that was just a absolute catastrophe. Yeah, a and I think to your point, Kevin, maybe we're still just digging our way out of whatever yeah. the heck happened. I feel like there's kind of like a lost 18 months there um, sure. for a lot of, for a lot of kids and families. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm hopeful on what, what I saw this past year in sort of that return and you can kind of see that coming back and I'm, I'm even more optimistic for this year just coming back to, to, you know, the pride and, and, you know, that, that just prioritizing school more and, and kind of making up for that lost time. I think, 
that there's a lot of momentum in the right direction. I'm optimistic with it. It seems well, it seems like you're an optimist at heart, which is probably why you're a good leader. And it's probably why you're doing what you're doing. I am a little bit, a little glass half full. I am. am. (laughs) Otherwise I'm a, I'm a quit. (laughs) That's why you didn't submit that resignation. Right, right, right. Right. In 2012. That's right. I'll better of it. New hope, our name, our promise. Founded in 1987 by Dr. George Orvin, New Hope has been a beacon of hope and healing for youth across the country for decades and is committed to expanding our impact across the Carolinas and beyond. At our flagship 150-bed treatment facility in Rock Hill, South Carolina, We provide 24-7 residential behavioral health care to male and female youth with significant mental health challenges. Our team of behavioral health care experts deliver comprehensive care in a safe and structured environment. When a youth enters our care, they are often at the lowest point in their life. They've endured years of trauma and rejection. They have accepted a narrative that their life is hopeless that they are destined to repeat a cycle of despair. That's where we come in. We are here to provide new hope to every youth in our care. New hope through therapy that breaks down walls and builds up their self-worth. New hope through teachers and education tailored to their unique needs. New hope through round-the-clock medical staff ensuring their physical health. New hope through recreation play, and new experiences that develop life skills, and new hope through the healing power of positive relationships with every one of our team members. We break cycles. We rewrite life stories. It's our name. It's our promise. We are New Hope. Kevin, uh, I I wanted to circle back to this, you touched on it a little bit, uh, just building a, you know, a, a good environment, a good culture in the school system. And I know we touched on how the negative impacts of, you know, social media and technology as a whole, but uh, as technology has evolved over the years and social media has evolved, you know, what are the, uh, some ways that you guys utilize that uh, to your advantage uh, to relate to the kids more so um, and, you know, make it so that, you know, it, it's a positive environment and positive atmosphere for them? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, we could do even more of this, but like, I mean, a lot of our, our, our teachers and football teams and athletic teams, they all have social medias, Mm. you know, accounts that they encourage the kids to follow. Um, Kids are following the official, you know, school Instagram and commenting on it and stories are being put up. Um, So we definitely utilize leverage the technology that way, you know, cool little videos that are giving reminders to kids or a message from the principal. We'll, we'll do a video. It works a lot better than putting it on like the school PA system. Like if you push it out through an Instagram reel, mm-hmm. uh, works better that way. Um, you know, so we, we, we definitely utilize that. Uh, I think we could do more of that, you mm-hmm. know, and, mm-hmm. and, and really probably one thing that we're really looking to do more of is because we got to let we got to stop having the adults talk so much and let the kids like lead the stuff. Hmm. Right. So I, I've, I've seen a few schools that have really, really, really big and strong like student government associations that are like doing the work of communicating the messages right. that we want communicated. 
And like, that's ultimately the, the answer. Um, we have a strong SGA at West Charlotte high school. Um, that I think will only get stronger this year. You know, they're responsible for the things that SGAs are responsible for prom and elections and, and some spirit weeks and homecoming and things like that, but really putting like even more onto the students to ownership on that self lead and self manage. Like it's their experience. It's their high school experience, not ours. Yeah. You're, you're probably always going to know if the social media account at the school is run by a 45 year old. Versus yeah. the 17 year olds. Yeah. <laughs> no offense to 25 yeah. year It's just always probably going to show. I mean, there's just no way to keep up. And to your point, you know, creating that ownership and putting the um, putting the ownership where the talent is yes. uh, of that generation. Yes. So I, you know, I have one more question again in that same vein of just like, this is what I feel. You tell me I'm wrong. Cause so far, I think you've told me I'm wrong. You're like three for three on telling me that I'm wrong, which I uh, love being told I'm wrong. It's the best thing. I get told do that it, all day. I, I get told it often. So is there any, um, shift you know in in the last 10 years and last you know handful of years as an administrator that you've seen amongst our parents as it relates to school and academic engagement again we are painting with broad broad strokes here but i i'm just curious is there any less um less engagement less involvement or is it the same are parents the same now as they were in the 70s 80s 90s in terms of like i really care about my kids education and I'm going to tee up a teacher if I'm not happy. Like, what are you seeing from our parents out there? Yeah. I mean, I, I am of the belief and I have never in my 12 years or whatever it is now, I have never met a parent that didn't care about their kid's education. I've never met a parent that like was unhappy to receive a call or an email or a text, like working to engage them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I really think like, I've not seen a shift. I've seen the 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 amount of engagement has stayed steady. Um, and you know, I really think that like parent and family engagement is like on us as the educators and as the institutions or on the organizations to like do better. I think we we really don't do a good job of like empowering and engaging families. Um, as like a system. Cause we're so often like ready to say, well, the families just aren't engaged. I've right. never met a family. I've never met a parent who's like, I don't want my student to be successful and I won't show up for this. In fact, like it's the exact opposite. Like they'll re- reply back to a text just like that and, and email and check power schools and do whatever it is. Like, I think sometimes we haven't created like real good opportunities and real good entry points to like, how do I engage? What do I do? Yeah. What should I do? Um, I haven't seen a shift. I've seen some op- doors of opportunity open with like really cool platforms that make it easier to to text parents. There's this platform called Parent Square that's like super good. Um, mm. You know, I'm a type of person that like everyone in the world has my cell phone number. You can text me. I love that. You know, I think there's some teachers that do that as well um, because like that's that's one of those ways that we're when you build relationships with families as well and parents as well like you can get some incredible outcomes and you you can mm-hmm. get some better outcomes than if you're you know you're operating in this world where like I'm teacher you're parent like bound like I mean yes there's some boundaries but like you know we I I do believe in like th- thinking differently on and and thinking creatively on how we interact and interface and and engage with families so that's all right, so that's four for four. So what you're saying, I need to get yeah, off the yeah. I need to get off the internet. 
And I need to, because that is where, you know, the sky is falling and we're going to hell in a handbasket. That that's not the experience. Uh, again, one of the biggest, a big school and one of the biggest districts in the country. I mean, you are seeing, um, seems like you're saying, I mean, you, you, it seems like you could talk for five hours about all the good stuff that's happening, which is, which is awesome. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, hap I, I'm happy to be wrong on a bunch of this stuff. Yeah. I really think like, you know, yes, there are some challenges, right? And there's absolutely challenges, but the but you know, I I definitely see the the good stuff that's happening, not just at at our school and not just in CMS, but uh, you know, I talk to a lot of teachers and I have people in these Facebook groups and see some stuff going on and yeah, there's a lot of people who want to focus on the negative, but then there's so much good that is happening and there is so much like excellence happening in, in a lot of different pockets. And like, that's what we talk about is like, one of the things I was, we was in a workshop today and, you know, consistency is key, right? So like inconsistency is not great. And we have these pockets of excellence and it's about like creating more consistency in excellence and just more pockets of excellence and whatever system or whatever thing we're talking about, because there's a lot of, of inconsistency sometimes, where like, yeah, it's not good over here, but it's great over here. Or this teacher is really amazing, but this teacher is not so good. Like we need to figure out how we create more of that consistency of excellence. So I think this would be a great transition uh, to kind of wrap this up and put a nice bow on this and uh, close it in a positive manner. So Kevin, for you, uh, as we like to do here in Stuff That Matters, I'm going to ask you those three famous words. What is the Stuff That Matters? What is the stuff that matters? The stuff that matters is what we've been talking about today. It's kids, it's students, it's humanizing and the learning experience and humanizing our interactions, humanizing teaching and learning, bringing the joy back to teaching and learning, like just centering kids. That's the stuff that matters. Centering kids, centering their families, center centering the humanity in the work that we do when we're working in, you know, public schools or we're working in um, the mental health field, humanize it, make it fun, make it joyful, um, treat people the way you'd want your kids to be treated. Like that's the stuff that matters. Ooh, All right. Nice. Yeah, it. Kevin, I, I know you're doing good work now, man, but you might need to get on the state level and do a marketing campaign <laughs> to get recruiting and teaching because, man, you're making me want to go back and do lateral entry. Yeah. Again, so. Look, we got some positions posted right now. I got you <laughs> after the podcast. <laughs> Oh, I, can man. In, I can get you in lateral. You give me uh, all right. Yeah, give me in for an interview, and, and we'll see, man. Yeah. I, I love how you talk about the work, and and this is such a pleasure, man. Thanks for taking the time for us. Yes, yeah. this was a this is a blast. And if I have to update the website in a couple months uh, because Matt left, I, I know why. It's uh, because of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> give me that gym teacher job, man. Give me something. <laughs> there it is. Thanks, y'all. Yeah, it was fun. It was very fun. Appreciate Kevin, you. Thanks thank so you so much. Time. Thanks, Kevin. You can listen to this episode and all episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or you can watch episodes on YouTube. And if you're interested in being a part of the New Hope mission, please visit newhopetreatment.com for more information. Again, that's newhopetreatment.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.